signatures detected. Shield up. Signatures detected. Context Southfleet Command. What's happening? Co- context Southfleet Command. Delay that order. Context Southfleet Command. This is the captain. Context Southfleet Command. Get out of my chair. 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 We have engaged the Klingons. 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 Welcome to The Greatest Discovery, a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. <laughs> you got pep in your step here for the 10th and final episode of season one of Lower Decks. I'm faking it, Ben. I'm faking the pep. Don't You're faking it? Don't oh, fake no. the pep on a nasty pep. Or whatever. <laughs> a couple of hours ago, you told me you were you were nursing a pretty brutal headache. Is that still with you? No, I think I've uh, I've shrugged it off. I mean, hey, that's that good. nice that nice post headache afterglow, the post headache refractory period that actually feels pretty good. Are you on something or are you on one? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, besides back on my business. Yo, you heard the new episode of The Greatest Discovery? Adam was on one. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, I I took a couple over the counters and uh, uh, tried not to clench. And uh, Uh uh, oh, do you do you brucks? Oh yeah, oh fuck yeah! Like broke a uh, a mouth guard bad. (laughs) Wow, do you brucks while you're awake too? Because I know that some people do. Only while sleeping. Some people do do only while awake, and some people people do both. Do you even brux, bro? <laughs> I yeah. do, but only when I'm unconscious. So it doesn't it doesn't bother anyone. I mean, it's a it's an ongoing challenge for me. I would say ah, that man. I mostly do it at night, but you know, like like it's the it's the challenge of my life to to be a little more in the moment at any given time, and when I I'm in the moment, I often notice that I'm bruxing. So Damn. You know, our buddy Chuck Bryant is a is a daytime bruxer as well. Is that why we have such muscular faces? Both of us? <laughs> like from, yeah, yeah. from basically doing the the spring loaded eagle's claw exerciser with our mouths and jaws. Yeah. Uh, you guys should commiserate over that sometime. Yeah, we really should. I love that guy. You know what what we could talk about was uh the first time in a long time you and I have hung out in real life. We we had a tacos lunch yesterday. That's true. And a good old-fashioned chop 'em up. Yeah, we found a uh, a taco place in Culver City that had uh, an outdoor eating setup where we could sit, you know, you at one end and I at the other of a of a picnic table and uh, enjoy a meal and Pretend like nothing was burning. It felt really good to get the band back together. It was fun. Yeah, man. It's almost like there's kind of like a vacuum of leadership on how best to go about these things. How, how best to go about our, our lunches? Someone's just got to take charge, Ben, because uh, you can't just assume that the, that the lunch plans are going to go away on their own. You I'm know? saying how, how best to uh, go about like managing our relationship with the demic. And um, I think that an outdoor lunch hang is acceptable, but sometimes I'm like, maybe Adam and I should just merge pods. <laughs> we already have three pods together. Why can't we have a fourth? Oh, geez. <laughs> Sounds like a lot of work. 
I don't think of what we did as risk, as risky behavior. Uh, but I will admit, like every time I, every time I leave the safety of my home, yeah, and go outside where there are people, even just going outside and like having a place I had to be at a time. Yeah, I'm so out of practice. Yeah, yeah, that wasn't easy. It was crazy. <laughs> had to uh, put on a clean shirt. Actually, I'm pretty good at putting on clothes. I've noticed that. <laughs> I've never seen you wearing a pair of shorts, uh, you know, above your waist or... Hey, uh, I know we're both uh, very happily committed and married uh, to our wives, but do you ever think about uh, what your life would be like under quarantine if you were just by yourself? How far you'd let yourself go? Oh, man. Um, I've let myself go pretty far despite the backstop of a person who can tell me I'm looking a bit, a bit scruffy lately. So, yeah. um, yeah, I think it would be bad. I think it would be a bad situation. I think, uh, I think our wives are doing great work yeah. on, on they're, everyone's behalf. They're helping us out in big ways. Right after we hung out yesterday, I was on the phone with my wife and I was like, Hey, you know how we have a garage now? I think I might have forgotten to close the door of the garage when I left. And she was like, oh, let me go out and look. And and sure enough, I had forgotten to close the garage door. And she reached up to close the garage by grabbing the section of garage door that was closest to the bottom no, and pulling down. That's not she, what you grab. That's not what you grab. <laughs> and she learned that the hard way. Uh it was one of those, like, you hear a person go through excruciating pain on the other end of a phone Oh no! for five minutes things where, like, I'm just, like, s- sitting in traffic, unable to help. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. That was a, a weird way to end a day that seemed like it was, like, going pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not laughing at you or the situation, but it's... Uh... Everyone's got it bad everywhere, man. That's yeah. That's the prevailing feeling at this point. That's the way the wind is blowing. And uh, hey, you should get yourself one of those Matt Howie style, uh, you know, connected garage door situations. Oh yeah, where, where you know if it's open or it's closed just by looking at your phone. You tell Siri, close that dough. That would be great. Yeah. Um, yeah, get yourself uh, some connected cameras. Maybe we should get ourselves a sponsor in the connected camera department. We should get a sponsor in the connected garage door department, first and foremost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is it possible to retrofit a non-motorized garage door for for smart home? <laughs> yeah, here's how it works. Uh, the the app calls an Uber driver. It's like Uber Eats. <laughs> so so uh-huh. you like you open up your Uber Eats app. It, yeah. it calls a driver to your home, and then that person gets out of their vehicle, goes up to your right. garage, and either opens or closes it. It's called it's called Uber Garage. <laughs> and then you're like, damn, we just ordered like one order of kung pao chicken and one order of braised green beans and it was somehow 50 bucks what (laughs) and the restaurant's going out of business because this company is gouging them what yeah but ever since we started overpaying for food we've never had an issue with the garage door (laughs) doing great
That is going great. Yeah. Um. <laughs> hey, wrap up the story though. Uh, your wife's finger did not get amputated. Uh, we're we're okay with the hand. She did like a FaceTime with a physician who said like keep an eye on it for a couple of days and if it doesn't stop hurting a ton, go go to an urgent care or something. But uh, it yeah. uh, it sucks to be the person taking a shower who has to hold their hand over their head. That right. That's not a fun way to be for a couple of weeks. Yeah, and then your hand is a little weird funk on it, you know? You got to shampoo your been... head with the opposite hand. Yeah. Imagine being in quar alone with a hand injury, Adam. I mean, give me a fucking break. You're going to learn a lot of things about the opposite hand. <laughs> the <laughs> that stranger. was your circumstance, yeah. <laughs> Wow. Well, uh, we learned a lot of things about our Lower Decks crew today. Uh, so did the rest of the crew, really. Yeah. Do you want to get into it, Adam? Maybe that's how we pivot into the season one finale of Lower Decks. It's the 10th episode. It's called No Small Parts. Oh, what, what? How does the saying go? No small parts, only small people? That there are no small parts, only small actors. Oh, yeah. The Cerritos is in orbit around a planet from the TOS era, Beta 3. It's a, a bunch of jokes that went right over my head until I read the Memory Alpha article about Beta 3 and Landru. These these bits were, were lost on on this Star Trek podcaster. If we ever get another off-season episode of Greatest Discovery, and at this point, I don't even know if we'll ever get one again, <laughs> uh, we'll have to watch that episode of the animated series, right? You're saying they, there may no, no longer ever be off-seasons? Who knows, man? The way, yeah. the way this uh, pipeline is working, it's the uh, episode of I Love Lucy where they're working the line. Is that an I Love Lucy episode or is that Laverne and Shirley where where the- Oh, where the, she's like stuffing chocolates in her mouth? Yeah, it just keeps coming and we're, Ben, we're stuffing episodes in our mouth and <laughs> and we just can't stuff any more in there. I've yeah. got Bruxism. Mm-hmm. Look at me. <laughs> I am the chubby bunny now. <laughs> Anyways. I, I did- I did love the animated series callback, and I love that when Ransom looks at his pad, it's a picture of animated Kirk and Spock. <laughs> it's sort That's of like great. the flip side of how South Park does references to real people, and like you see actual pictures of people in South Park. Right, right. I think that's fun how you see animated Kirk and Spock here. I originally looked at uh, at animated series reference to see if I could figure out what Landrew was, and mm-hmm. I was... Uh, Surprised to discover that uh, that this was an actual live action episode. Anyways, this is a uh, a second contact that is just kind of like uh, re-correcting the course of a society that you know, like uh, <laughs> original series is a lot of just Kirk beaming down and telling people what's fucked up about them, and you know, <laughs> and then leaving. <laughs> Kirk negging planet after planet (laughs) into shape. Yeah. Before seeing too much of Lower Decks, you could assume that a weaker show would have made this the pattern, the always returning to a planet that had been visited before by another Star Trek show. 
And right. it's neat that it took basically the whole season for that to happen. And it was really just kind of a throwaway cold open way to like, I wonder if they started at the TOS joke that ransom makes and they, <laughs> and they wrote backwards uh, in a way to get there because it's so mathy. Like that moment is so mathy and good comedically. Yeah. I don't, I don't know how you get there unless you do it that way. Right. Maybe it just came to them. Anyways, they're they're supposed to head out, but they've still got crew down on the planet and we smash cut to Mariner passing out painting supplies and other art implements to children gathered in the uh, rustic and beige-toned town square of Beta 3. Rolaren... Establish the dress code for scenes like this, right? You always yeah, want to take sure off did. the uniform before handing out the crayons. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's a good thing that the Beta 3 people do not keep pizza ovens because uh, <laughs> they would have been doomed in this scenario. Right. Um, the, I, I think the deal is that, that is that Landru forbade them creativity. So Boimler and Mariner are, uh, are kind of like furthering the mission of giving these people... Uh, something to worship aside from Landru by giving art supplies to to the kids. I'm glad you did the research, Ben. I mean, I'm just... That's, that's an interesting note. That's context clues from the episode. I didn't do any further research than that. Wow. I just thought, uh, I thought the kids would want some toys, and on this mission, Mariner and Boims were cool enough to recognize that. No, I mean... Give them something to do. Beta 3 famously has lots of wood from which to carve dolphins, but no <laughs> mineral oil to <laughs> polish said dolphins with. Right. Boimler's knowledge of what of what uh, Mariner's parentage is has kind of unburdened him of all his rule following in this moment. The captain's your mom, your dad's an admiral, you're basically Starfleet royalty. I mean, how cool is that? Yeah, he feels freer to shoot his mouth off around Mariner for sure, which is strange. Like, uh, it's strange because later on in the episode, it's it's sort of the opposite thing that happens to so many other crew people, like the way right. Boims is acting here. But they've they sort of like set their their uniform tunics in a pile, like <laughs> like coats at a party, uh, except the communicator line is open and this conversation is being heard on the bridge of the Cerritos. The communicators don't have uh, big, uh, big drivers in their internal speakers, so the sound is just not that, not that loud. <laughs> but uh, everything, everything they're saying is audible on the bridge, and uh, this is when Boimler chooses to uh, confess that he found out Mariner's big, big secret, and uh, in the process reveals that secret to the entire bridge crew. Boimler gets beamed up mid bit, yeah, which is awkward as hell. Yeah, a mid-bit about Mariner's mom, and then is face-to-face with Mariner's mom. Yeah. It's a it's a great visual. It's not just the visual of Boimler being embarrassed, but also without his uniform. It's just a bad look all the way around. <laughs> Did I ever tell you about my old uh, college roommate, Tomas? No. He, he, was, uh, he was my roommate for junior and senior year with a couple of other buddies and uh 
Tomas and I kind of, uh, we kind of stopped getting along as well toward the end of senior year. And at one point he was like leaving our off, off campus housing apartment dump, uh, and like walked out of, of the space and to one of my other roommates. I was just like, geez, that guy. And, <laughs> oh God. and my, my other roommates face dropped and was like, did Tomas actually leave or did he just open the door and close it? And I go, he left. And I just hear him walk by behind me going, I heard what you said. <laughs> I felt, uh, I, I have felt what Boimler feels in this moment. <laughs> I don't know anyone who doesn't know that kind of pain. <laughs> it's like, uh, it's like when the show's over and you and I start talking about Rob's, but we realize that we haven't, uh, stopped the record. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> Rob's knows what it's like too. Yeah. Rob's the real Tomas of great discovery. <laughs> wow. After our uh, title sequence, we come back and Captain Dayton, who we met a couple of episodes, has a new ship. Yeah, it's the it's the sparkly new Solvang, fresh out of the box. <laughs> I wish we got the unboxing of the Solvang. You know it comes in mm. that in that really cool packaging that that oh, yeah. is so satisfying to like you pull the little tab and then it unwinds like a pack of gum, like that little strip <laughs> that that removes the rest of the plastic. Yeah, and it's like nice. they they've like really like intricately molded the the paper packaging so that it's like I mean a perfect millimeter of tolerance around the ship. I mean, it's not entirely unboxed, right? She's still got the little uh, plastic decals covering the screens so they don't get scratched up in shipping. You uh, you look really closely at the box, and it says uh, "Assembled by the Federation at Utopia Planitia Shipyards," <laughs> designed in California. Yeah, <laughs> I uh, installed a medicine cabinet the other day, and it's got a mirror on the outside, and then on the inside of the door, there's another mirror, and both mirrors had that plastic film on them uh. to protect them during shipping. And it's like 30 inches by 24 inches of plastic decal to peel off. It was the greatest thing that ever happened to me. God, you get two <laughs> runs at that? Did yeah. you save one for the day after? <laughs> I went, I, I, I blew it all at once. I, uh, I was just like collapsed in a heap on the floor of my bathroom. There's something so satisfying even to throwing that shit away because it, because when you crumple it up, it kind of sticks to itself. Yeah. And crumples Very, to nothing. Yeah. It's great. Beautiful. Uh, the Solvang is analyzing a plasma cloud under the command of, of the aforementioned Captain Dayton when a giant mystery ship attacks it. And they know they're overmatched right away. So it is much like the main title sequence, a moment where a ship of this class needs to bug out. Uh, but unfortunately... As soon as they go to warp, uh, they've already been caught in this ship's claw, and it's like driving away from a parking spot when your car's been booted. Uh, it just it destroys the ship, and RSVP to the Solvang in a cloud of later hosen and warm potato salad. Dayton was captain of the Solvang for five minutes, and she lost every single life aboard. Starfleet needs more captains like that. <laughs> After the Rubidoux, 
how quick were you to give Dayton another command? I thought that if you lose a ship, there is automatically a court martial. I think Dayton yeah. should have uh, should have been in much bigger trouble. I think one of the things this series has done really well is is play with the tone of things and not just comedy tone because when we see the destruction of the ship we go super wide cinematically wide yeah it's very 2009 star trek in that moment like the visual language of star trek is that space death is a wide shot and a quiet moment yeah. and you definitely get that here in an effective non-comedy way it feels sincerely dark and bad this episode takes much longer trips outside of comedy language than previous episodes in this series have. And they feel yeah. really like self-assured moments. Like it's a show that's like, hey, like we're gonna drop the the bits for a minute and like tell a really a really intense story for a while. Yeah. You wonder if our show would ever do something like that. I think we're too attached to the bits. <laughs> We've never experienced the death of one of our hosts, so, uh, mm. yeah. Yet. <laughs> when that day comes, we'll throw to a wide shot. Yeah. Uh, until then, for everyone watching right now, uh, we're going <laughs> to keep it locked right here. The scene immediately following this is a scene very similar to the open of the series. Uh, it's Tendi now serving as the, uh, as the orientation officer for a new member of the crew that member of the crew is a starfleet uniform painted exocomp with pips and everything it looks yeah. like it looks like pips but i don't think the exocomp is a commander no this is the there's one pip there's 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 other things that are the same size as a pip right above oh, the pip yeah but uh yeah this is uh this is ensign exocomp i had some pip confusion there with, yeah. with, you know what? Uh, my pips are down here is probably what the exocomp <laughs> would tell me because I was looking in the wrong place. Yeah, you're like looking the exocomp right in the upper pips. Yeah. This is, I believe, the only moment where the word exocomp is expressed because... Shocking. I know. <laughs> because a little later, uh, it gets renamed. Yeah. If if we had been in the writers' room, I think this would have been the episode we got fired on because right. we could we would have just been like, but what about adding a couple more references to the word exocomp in this scene? And Mike McMahon would have been like, you guys, that is not a good bit. Get the fuck out of here. We invited you here to observe and take pictures, <laughs> not contribute. This uh, exocomp is a lot like Tendi in behavior. Which which makes yes. them fast friends, it seems. Yeah, they they have that same unkillable optimism, and uh, and they are excited to get started with orienting the exocomp to the USS Cerritos. Meanwhile, in the captain's ready room, uh, Captain Freeman and Ensign Mariner are discussing what now, given the fact that the secret is out. And their motivations are finally like given names. Like basically Freeman is embarrassed of Mariner and Mariner doesn't want to, doesn't want to have her ass kissed because of who her folks are. Captain, Captain's daughter. I, I mean, Mariner. Oh, what is it, Jack? Ransom is there to discuss a job opening on the Sacramento, a ship that we'll learn later is a very desirable place to be. 
Yeah. Who doesn't want to be on the USS Sack Town? There are questions about Ransom and Mariner's relationship, I think, up to now. Uh, mm-hmm. It has been at times flirtatious. It has right. sometimes been uh, manager subordinate. But in this scene, uh, it's taken a turn for the awkward. Ransom doesn't quite know how to act around her. Right, because that power dynamic has shifted in a way where the variables are pretty hard to compute. And what Ransom finds himself doing is accidentally slipping into sexual innuendos and then being kind of caught in a hall of sexual innuendo mirrors. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like like the end of Enter the Dragon, (laughs) where instead of the weird like claw weapon thing, there's just like a big floppy dildo. Yeah, right. (laughs) It always comes back to claw weapons with you. Uh, Afterward, like this is a scene that begins just an avalanche of awkward directed at Mariner. She's in the corridor leaving this meeting and uh, she runs into Lieutenant Steve Levy. Uh, Mm -hmm. Nice to know that that there's a place for conspiracy nuts in the 24th (laughs) century. He and many others on the ship see Mariner as a conduit to the captain. It's not an awkwardness that's like, oh, I, I, I believe that she's a spy for the captain. It's what can Mariner do for me uh, right. with, with her relationship. And so Steve Levy is like, I've got ideas for the captains yet. Here are those. Uh, someone wants to take a selfie with her. And then uh, Dr. Katz her name is Dr. Tana. wants the captain's permission to fuck Shaxx. Dr. Katz thinks Shax is a snack. He is, but like, is this an HR sort of thing where you need to report your interest in a coworker so it's not sketchy? If that's true, uh, Ransom has a lot of paperwork <laughs> that he needs to get filed. <laughs> I think it's fun that there is room for conspiracy theorists in Star Trek, but not Q, because uh, in the 24th century... All of QAnon died after taking off their helmets in space because they believe space is where the real air is. <laughs> lucky them. Yeah, and lucky us. Yeah. Um, she hits on a uh, on an idea though. The the Cerritos is off to the Cala system to see what's up with the uh, the USS Solvang, and on their way, Mariner realizes. Uh, in a conversation with Boimler that the way out of this conundrum is to get promoted off the ship. If she can button herself up and, you know, get a, uh, get a couple of good weeks under her belt, uh, as far as her record is concerned, maybe she will be advanced to Lieutenant and transferred to the Sacramento where nobody knows her and she won't have the problem of people brown nosing her. It's weird, like, I feel like she used to be comfortable with the sort of attention that came from a rebel acting out. She got attention for that all the time. She's getting just as much attention now, but it is the reason for that attention that is discomfort making. I love that she considers her previous persona to be um, Robin Hood bullshit. Yeah, and I love how this is another example of Boimler having an idea and Mariner hijacking it. Like, Boimler's like, you know, maybe the Sacramento is the place to be. 
and Mariner is like, holy shit, that's the place to be. It's a fresh start. Like, yeah, that happens all the time. Poor Boims. Yeah. Boimler cannot compete. Mariner's transformation into promotable ensign is like uh is like a Rambo-esque style, like <laughs> tying of shoelaces and rolling down of of sleeves and, and tightening of bun. Yeah. It's uh get getting the uniform up to up to ship shape and, and getting the hair real squared away. And suddenly she's a very different character and, uh, you know, speaking with more f- formality and uh, it's just it's just not the, not the same. When you think of hand pie, how long would it have taken you to think of key lime hand pie? I don't believe wow. that would be in my top 15 hand pies that I'd even, even think about as an option. Yeah, because I think of hand pie as being primarily a like a fruit filling not a not a not a custard filling apple peach i mean no i remember having like chocolate and uh and and banana cream hand pie wow this, i've never i've never encountered that those will make your your ears ring they're so sweet here's why it doesn't make any sense is the kind of crust you would have for a key lime or a banana cream pie is the graham cracker? Are you saying Billups made a graham cracker crusted hand pie? It's is that even a thing? Scientifically impossible. You could only get a key lime hand pie out of a replicator. There's no way Billups Whoa. is making one. Yeah, but if you're building it at a molecular level, it doesn't need to be workable. Fuck. You just blew this conspiracy wide open. You're the you're the Lieutenant Steve Levy of this podcast. <laughs> Poor Billups. Is that a good segment for this show? What's your Steve Levy? Levy? What's your conspiracy (laughs) theory about this episode? All right. Fine. Fine. Yeah, we did that. We got a new segment. (laughs) What's your Steve Steve Levy? (laughs) We get a little uh, scene with Tendi and the Exocomp, and the Exocomp reveals... Its name to be Peanut Hamper. This after having analyzed uh, what what the perfect name would be based on languages spoken within the Federation. I uh, <laughs> this name is dumb. Yeah, but it's one of those uh, it's one of those challenges that you get in in role playing games, right? You need to name your character. We've talked about this uh in books and stuff too, right? Like naming a character ideally is like an edit. You don't want to notice a name for being for being dumb. Yeah. This is, this is a dumb name, I think. This is not good. <laughs> yeah. It's uh Ursula Le Guin, I think, what uh talks about when you give a character a name that isn't like a an earth name, it should at least pass mental spell check. It should mm. at least like seem like a name. <laughs> and uh, Peanut Hamper doesn't seem like a name. So uh, there was a player on my favorite football team that got in legal trouble. I want to say it was like 10 or 15 years ago. A football player in legal trouble? Uh, I know. Surely you jest. But, but unlike most legal trouble... Uh, that football players are em- embroiled in. Uh, this is this was funny legal trouble <laughs> because he was arrested for pooping in his girlfriend's hamper. 
if that's a crime, man, I'm moving to Canada. <laughs> I just don't know how how the arresting officer and everyone involved with the trial isn't <laughs> like how does that go down? What's the vibe? Yeah. You definitely uh ugh. So Ladies gross. and gentlemen of the jury, uh, entered into evidence is is this hamper. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna use the laser pointer to outline what is clearly feces. <laughs> Mariner and Boims go into Ransom's quarters, which is filled with an enviable amount of free weights. Ben, I yeah. I looked at at his setup in there, and I was like, damn. He doesn't have captain's trinkets. He has commander's medicine balls. I know. Pretty nice. He is having the hardest time figuring out who to give this promotion to because on the one hand, Boims has a creepy amount of of experience, according <laughs> to him, and Mariner is the captain's daughter. So, Right. Go figure. We haven't even talked about Rutherford's button yet, but... Right. At a certain point, he like rips a panel off of his implant and starts pushing this button that cycles through what seems to be a sort of endless variety of different personality modes, which is really a terrifying idea, actually. Like the idea that his personality is normal to this system and that there are lots, lots and lots of Instagram filters that can be applied to it that just force him into talking like a cowboy or being optimistic. I love how this situation is never elevated to the point of a medical emergency. Like (laughs) he really needs to see someone about this and he does not. No, he he gets right back to work and uh, he gets, he's working on the, the shuttle Sequoia, which seems to be the dumpiest shuttle in Starfleet. It's a real rat rod of a shuttle. It's got like a, like it's painted like the the nose of a fighter plane. It's got like the yeah. shark's teeth on it. It's a lot of fun. It's got like like childlike drawings of the four lead characters of Lower Decks on the door. Did you notice that? I love this set. I wish we spent more time here. I mean, we yeah. we have on occasion. This is this is like the the basement in the X Files. Like this is their their hangout. Yeah, but I feel like it's the Yosemite in the background usually. Yeah. In those other scenes. Yeah. This is the lower, lower garage. Did you get the thing where Peanut Hamper was bad at picking up objects in this scene and then good at surgery in the next scene? I didn't really understand what that was about. I got it in that it is as you described, but I don't know if there was anything more than that that there was was to get. I mean, it seemed like they were setting something up with Peanut Hamper where Tendi is like worried about letting Peanut Hamper get involved with, you know, doing surgery on a patient because Peanut Hamper can't pick up a can of dilithium. But then Peanut Hamper is great. And then it seems like that would like factor in somehow. And I guess maybe maybe the idea is that they just wanted to get across that Tendi has to like come to trust peanut hamper's capabilities well i guess if we're if we're doing that thing where we're writing backwards again we need to get peanut hamper into six bay when rutherford arrives with the virus later how do you get him how do you get peanut hamper there other than by making peanut hamper good at surgery 
to the extent that that's where peanut hamper is for the longer term, right? Yeah, but peanut hamper is blue, so so theoretically just would be there. Yeah. I don't know. It 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 seemed like a a narrative hole that I just I couldn't I couldn't quite wrap my mind around what was trying to be what like it seemed like very intentional in a way that I didn't get, you know. To me it just felt like there are no straight lines in in this story like like peanut hamper yeah. couldn't just go straight to six bay Th- there needed to be an establishment of doubt yeah that makes sense to me i love how this show plays with its focal plane because the scene in six bay where peanut hamper is performing surgery does such a good job of like uh stuff in the background being in focus and then we get the the tight close-up on the laser doing its work and the characters in soft focus in the back. And there's a bunch of that happening in this scene specifically, but also throughout the episode that I think just really makes everything on this show look great. It's a good-looking show. Red alert! Shields up! The ship flies into the teeth of a packlet attack. They they do that thing where they drop out of warp in a debris field, and it is the the wreck of the Solvang. No life forms detected. Pretty catastrophic. I love the reveal of the saucer of the of the Solvang. It's such a creepy yeah. shot. The way it's lit. The shadow kind of coming away from it and and revealing the the registry and name of the ship, and then right behind it the uh, the attacking ship, which is this this big hulk. I mean, it really dwarfs the Cerritos, and without provocation, starts opening fire. Um, they try and make their escape, and uh, again, this ship shoots these kind of grappling hooks out and grabs the Cerritos and Freeman realizes that if we if they try to go to warp uh, that's going to destroy the ship because that's obviously what uh, what the Solvang would have tried so instead they they shut it all down they they lose in a cell for their trouble but the ship is adrift and not dead so that's good I was really surprised that this was halfway through the ep because we've We'd just gone through 13 or 14 minutes after the introduction of this problem to our return to it. Yeah, this episode is a little longer than I think some of the others have been. The structure of it feels really different. Even though it's got a like the, some pretty familiar elements for this show, like there's definitely a the ship is getting torn apart and we're having yeah. an emotional catharsis moment in this episode but uh but it felt like it was coming from a really different place in a lot of ways i wonder if this show couldn't work as a longer episode and by by saying that i'm saying i don't think the show could i think you benefit from a shorter show in that some of the some of the nostalgia runners that you get per episode some of the other choices the show makes by by doubling the amount of those in a runtime i think makes the show worse yeah there are those episodes of seinfeld that are like 45 minutes long it'll be like 10 30 and i'll be like hey i'll, I'll turn to my wife on the couch she'll be like you want to watch like one more episode of seinfeld and then go to bed you want to watch the finale of seinfeld with me <laughs> and, and we put one on and it's like what is going on here this seems like it never ends <laughs> 
Yeah. Like, like the math of that show does not stretch to a full hour somehow. And I, I think you're right. Like the math of this show is similar enough that, that it would probably be tough. Uh, on the view screen, it is revealed who these guys are, and it is the Packleds, Ben. The uh, the Packleds who have made a ship out of other ships. Uh, the Packleds who have clearly looted an old bowling alley of their claw crane games and <laughs> attached it to their ship to use as as disabling weapons. I love the. Uh the um, like reimagining of how a packlet would act in an aggressive stance because yeah one thing about the packlet episode of TNG is that they're kind of playing up their helplessness like intentionally and uh-huh. these are not helpless packlets so they are they they are not pursuing that strategy they're pursuing a very aggro strategy and uh, I, I thought it was good the Cerritos having been disabled really puts Freeman in a bind. Uh, she needs to empower Mariner to save the day here. Yeah, and she's really fucked up too, right? Like she, Freeman's got a pretty major abdominal wound and yeah. she uh, she she definitely takes the uh, the restrictors off Mariner. She, she wants that outside the box thinking that Mariner made famous. I need a dangerous half-baked solution that breaks Starfleet codes and totally pisses me off. This is the moment where the episode really starts humming because when Mariner hops into action, she kickstarts the Lower Decks team into action and then everyone goes A-team from here right. in their special way. Like their special superpowers are brought to bear on the problem here. And for Rutherford, that's waking Badgie. <laughs> yeah, the return of Badgie. Uh, very exciting to see him come back. Um, Badgie is going to be used to pursue a sort of uh, ID4 style solution to the problem. We're going to upload a virus into the mothership. Right. And uh, and the logic here is actually like ev- like better developed than ID4 because it really is. The the Packled have built this this super ship by kind of cludging together parts from other species and and Boimler even gets like a a diagram of this up on the screen and you see the like Klingon logo and the Ferengi logo and the Cardassian logo showing what all the different parts are and uh, and so the the theory is that the operating system that that such a ship would have is has got to be a pretty a pretty like open system because otherwise how could it work with all of these different competing computer systems and so uh so so they can slip something past the goalie pretty easily but but they need to do it quickly and that's why that's why they turned to badgie I love how like listening to a pack led tell you something they even beam over slowly <laughs> when the pack leds board the ship they, it seems like they're in process for many, many, many seconds. It's what allows the bridge crew to leave the bridge and head to the weapons locker, which is what you need to do when your ship's getting boarded. And they're unable to make it there in time. Uh, and it's fortunate that Mariner has squirreled away a bunch of a bunch of contraband into the 
into the corridor compartments, including a Spock helmet with police light on top. I loved seeing that thing. This music cue is straight out of Aliens. I love what they do with the music here, and the music throughout this episode I thought was was big, really big sounding. And this is one of those moments. Well, and they've, and they've gone sound-alike a lot mm-hmm. with music, but this is one of the few times where they've like like actually pulled a real Star Trek theme off yeah. the shelf and dusted it off. So, yeah, this, this moment feels great. It's a lot of, you know, everybody gets a different weapon yeah. and there's, you know, questions from the captain, like why are all of the panels of my ship full of your junk? But also, like, how can she stay mad when they're fending off these Packlet invaders? She gets really badly hurt here, and I was surprised at how I felt when I saw her animated expression when she was down. Like, they drew her in such a way that uh, evoked empathy. She really looked hurt badly. Yeah. I was surprised at how effective that was. Starfleet protocol when you have a badly injured member of the crew has improved a lot since the Wrath of Khan era. <laughs> Instead of taking her to the bridge, they take her straight to Six Bay. Oh, that's smart. The The Scotty rule has not been implemented. No. They get to work on helping her out, and, and they're talking about this plan. Rutherford now has his virus, and they uh, realize that the, the virus has to be delivered in person to the pack-led ship, and... They're like, who can we send? Who is going to be able to fly through space and is small enough to slip inside the ship unnoticed? Who could it be? Peanut Hamper doesn't want to do this. And in fact, beams itself out into space to avoid being given this job. Instead, it's Rutherford who slaps his isolinear chip in the side of his head like a CF card into a card reader. (laughs) He's going to be the one to go. And before you even are able to breathe, Shax grabs him and they head to that Sequoia shuttle from the other scene and they head out. Yeah. And what was a super speedy pace turns into a full-on sprint from here to the end. Indeed. Um, it's a, like, we got to download the the virus into the mainframe with a progress bar creeping across the screen situation when Badgy reveals that uh, this is actually an opportunity for Badgie to get revenge on Rutherford. Badgie, Badgie wants wants Rutherford to pay for breaking his neck. And for a while, it seems as though he will exact his revenge. When Rutherford's connected to the computer via the, the USB cable and that upload bar crawls to an end, uh, he realizes that... Badgie tells him that the only way that the upload will complete is is when he dies. Right. And so as Shax is giving him cover by by fighting hand to hand in the background, Shax realizes that the ship is set to self-destruct, yanks the appliance out of Rutherford's head, puts him in the shuttle and then pushes him away in order yeah. to save his life pushes the shuttle out of the hole that they made in the side of the pack-led ship. Uh, and uh, Shax buys the farm to save the crew. He needs the many's them. It's one of the most heroic things I think we've ever seen on Star Trek. 
I did not see a a bridge character dying in this episode, and it was like really big. It felt momentous. Yeah, I was surprised and affected by it for sure because Shax is so fun and yeah. big. This uh, so the the Packlet ship explodes and and you think you're home free, but then three more of them come out of warp and get their grapples onto the Cerritos and. And when a packlet ship gets yours into their claws, you can't break free because they're made of metal and packlet claws are strong. You need to feel safe. This seems like it's the end for the Cerritos, but this is just when the USS Titan comes out of warp. USS Titan, a an E-era Del Sol-class starship captained by William Riker. First officer, I suppose, by Deanna Troy. Is she is she first officering or is she oh, yeah. still ship's counselor? Look, man, if you get your own command and you don't XO your wife, Ooh. <laughs> it's going to be an, an awkward that, first dinner after that uh, conversation gets had. That's what I call a chilly bridge. <laughs> Anyways, the uh, the Titan, great ship. One of the best ships. Kicks all kinds of ass. Makes very short work of these pack leads. With the theme and song playing. Episode one TNG. Yeah. Theme song playing. And uh, cheers all around. We cut back to Starbase where the Cerritos is getting its new replacement nacelle put on. Some suggestion is made that they that they like sex the ship up a little bit and Freeman rejects this idea. Freeman is very anti-movie movie era entrepreneur, I suppose. It seems like for season two, episode one, we're not going to get like a refit Cerritos, <laughs> which I think personally, I, I agree with Captain Freeman on this. Yeah, we're just like, as of the last episode, fully in love with the Cerritos. Do not take it away from us now. Right, right. Um, so Rutherford wakes up in... Uh, in a, I guess, I guess this is a, oh, some kind of recovery ward on the station, right? This doesn't look like it's happening on the ship. Yeah, I think it's it's too spacious to be on the ship. Yeah, uh, he's got uh, he's got bandages over where his implant used to be. Um, wakes up in his kind of typical chipper mood, and Tendi has been has been by him si- his side the whole time, and is really excited that he woke up. And then they come to realize that he does not have any memory of, I guess, the entire first season of the show. <laughs> oh, no. He's going to have to Riker-like watch all the episodes. <laughs> I I mean, I wonder what's going to happen to his head now. That implant was destroyed on the ship. Right. And every time you see him the rest of this episode, he's wearing the giant bandage. Yeah, is he going to have a new implant or is he going to have normal head I, I thought he had to have the implant you know what was low-key gross was when Shax threw him into the shuttle and you saw that side profile of his face yeah Ugh. it's very Vader getting his helmet off yeah yeah Tendi is psyched because she gets to replay their friendship all over again and she's confident yeah. that they will be best friends once again that is uh, that infectious Tendi optimism I, I drink with glee every time I experience it we go happy right into sad because it's Shax's funeral uh, in the next scene. We get a, a Dr. Katz Her name is Dr. Tana. having not 
been able to uh, to fuck Shax before he died. <laughs> Clearly, really feeling the moment here. Ben, that's an empty casket, isn't it? Oh yeah. There's no way to collect the remains of Shax. He was on a ship that exploded in space. I know. It's sad. The idea of a uh, of a casket XL. And yeah. Yet no body inside. You shoot that at a Genesis planet and nothing. Yeah. He's with the prophets now. In Freeman's office, uh, Mariner and her are getting back to normal. And by normal, I mean arguing about her behavior and whether or not it's punishable. <laughs> you know, the, the captain goes through the litany of strikes against Mariner, all of the insubordination and all of the contraband that she'd been stowing aboard the ship. But... um they kind of they kind of reach a detente, which is that they can they can be two sides of one coin. Like the captain has to follow the regs, and Mariner does not in a certain way. But yeah, Mariner can kind of be the chaos agent on the captain's behalf when she needs it, and uh, and that's actually that's actually a pretty cool like powerful team up. It's a hell of a combination. This show more than any other really criticizes. Starfleet's many failings and and frequent contradictions and this is a scene that has a couple of lines in that spirit you know yeah. like they both sort of yeah. lament the idea of their of their mission being sort of flawed from the start right like the idea of second contact great idea should probably do it a little earlier right <laughs> seems right. to be their agreement because the maintenance of these relationships is is the problem and Freeman, uh, to her credit, comes around to how useful Mariner could be going forward. Right. This is a scene where I was like, wow, like this show is going to be really different in the next season because like the Tendi and Rutherford thing, you can kind of retread some of the jokes. You can you can like Sam and Diane mm-hmm. reset them to will they, won't they, uh, but friendship version. But now the secret is out with Mariner and Freeman and Mariner and Freeman actually have like an agreement instead of a, instead of tension. And that's a really different dynamic. There seems to be a conspiratorial agreement about what or what not to tell Mariner's father about this arrangement though, which may be a greater conflict in season two. Indeed. Riker is hanging out in the bar, I guess, on the Cerritos. This this looked like the Cerritos' bar, right? Yeah. Yeah. And like the sort of comfort a visiting big star feels, you know, like big star little ship is uh, is how he's walking around. I thought it was interesting how much they put Riker in the foreground and Troy in the background in these moments. Like she she gets her her moment where she just like casually destroys Ransom's personality. But that's always the vibe though, right? Like Riker's always been the big and Troy has always been the, not the small, but like the one, the one who takes her shot, like her shot hits harder because, because it's at a lower volume. This scene as well as the one where the Titan attacks the pack lids is an interesting example of how different acting is from voice acting because didn't Jonathan Frakes sound different yeah. as a voice actor for animation? 
it sounded like they went much bigger with the way they deliver the lines. Both of them. I think to their credit, like I, I think, I think you can't talk like you do on a live action show on an animated series. I think you'd sound flat and weird. Yeah. Right. There's got to be some reason why it's these two characters that get to get cameos in new Star Trek shows. Did you read that uh, this is now the sixth Star Trek television series that Jonathan Frakes has appeared in? Six. (laughs) Six of them. Wow. A record that will never be broken. God. I'd love to just like sit down next to that guy and ask him what that's like. If I ever had an opportunity like that, you know I would take it. Yeah. It's amazing. And uh, Marina Sirtis... And he became the first actors to portray the same characters on five different series. The wow. sixth one was the was the Tom Riker appearance on DS9. Oh. Pretty awesome. Damn. I'm Commander William Riker from the Federation Starship Enterprise. That's not possible. Riker walks up to Boehm's, says uh, he's really impressed with Boimler's service record. Except he calls him Boomler, which is awesome. <laughs> Yeah, that was that was good. There is kind of a wordless moment where Boimler reads this iPad as Riker, who is friends with Mariner, kind of uh, you know walks off to the bar with her to to goof around, and uh, we smash cut to the Titan where Boimler is putting a second hollow pip on his collar. He's in the DS9 version of the uniform. He's uh, he is he's the new guy on the Titan, and Mariner is leaving angry voicemails on his uh, on his iPad, feeling very betrayed that that uh, that Boimler is the one that got away. Look at Boimler thriving. He his parents transferred him to a different school, and now he's made new friends. He knows the uh, he knows the planet that. That his away mission is going to. He's popular. Yeah, he's got this whole new sense of confidence. He's getting the second chance that I wish I got in middle school. It's the authentic version of confidence that he was trying to that he was trying to put on in the I have yeah. a Canadian girlfriend episode. Right. And uh God, it's anyone's guess what season two is gonna be like, because we've sort of fractured our cast a little bit here. Right. Kurtzman said today that uh, Frakes is coming back for season two of Lower Decks. I don't know how much after the first episode, but uh, at least there's that to look forward to. I really hope the Worf as captain of the Enterprise E comes into play in season two. If we're if we're bringing back TNG characters, let's get let's get Worf back in there. It feels like season two is the time to do it. You don't want to lean on those guys for season one. You want you want to establish yourself. You want to yeah. You want to do it on your own first. I would say that this show has established itself. I agree. Did you like this episode, Adam? Yeah, I think I don't know what I was expecting for a season finale, but this was a great season finale. I thought the we were talking about it before like the pace of it was was amazing and breathless i thought the action of it was really well done it felt like 
Star Trek in, in every way, in every positive way, the feeling of the thing is the is the challenge, right? It's not just looking like Star Trek. It's not mm-hmm. referencing Star Trekky things. It's not visual <laughs> uh, jokes like the Spock helmet. Like Star, I've said, Star Trek is a place, but Star Trek is a feeling, and Lower Decks as a series has got the feeling right. In yeah. a in an and for a for being a comedy, I think that is an incredible challenge that that they rose to. I think the episode and the season was really great. I uh, I thought the the season was great. I I thought that this episode was very interesting in in how self confidently it it steered clear of comedy for as much of it as it did. Yeah. But I missed the comedy, to be honest. Like, I didn't feel like this one had the funny in the way that the rest of the season had. And I think that that was intentional in large part. Like, there were large swaths of the episode that weren't meant to be played for for goof-em-ups. But mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, I, I, I feel like in every episode up till now, I've had, like, three or four big laughs. And lots of little laughs but like I, I i've been really appreciating this show giving me like a like a solid belly laugh in a reliable way and i i definitely missed that in this episode so i'm not gonna say i didn't like the episode because i did but i i wished i'd uh, i wish i'd gotten that belly laugh i do too ben i think that that observation is spot on and like i'm looking at my notes i don't have anything for biggest laugh and I usually yeah. do watching this show. And that that was missing. But if you're going to have a self-serious episode, it's got to be the finale, right? It's got to be when the stakes are the highest, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's fair. Um, but do you want to see if we have any high-stakes priority one messages in our inbox? They're always high-stakes, Ben. To the sender, anyway. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Adam, we got a couple of priority one messages here. And we're running out. I'm looking at the at the calendar going forward. We're we are low on priority one messages for this show. So if you if you'd like to get one, act now. And you can get one out pretty soon, I think. Um, but our first one is from Sarah, and it is to Jay. And it goes like this. Happy 11th anniversary. I hope to keep watching Star Trek series of various levels of quality, as well as having many adventures with you and the fuzzballs for years to come. 11 years. That's a lot of years. I'm glad Sarah described uh, Star Trek as the thing with the different levels of quality and not our Star Trek podcasts, which are always great. They're consistently... Eh, fine. <laughs> yeah. Hey, uh, we uh, we came close to the uh, requested date here of 1017. So, happy anniversary on the 17th. Yeah, and uh, many happy returns to the fuzzballs. The 11th anniversary is the uh, is the what? The cheese ball anniversary? <laughs> what's the what's the material at 11? Yeah, yeah you traditionally give a a Cheeto or equivalent right based yeah. gift. Yeah. Well, uh, 
I mean, I celebrate Jay and Sarah's anniversary a couple times a week. That's, <laughs> that's how that goes. Ben, our second priority one message is from Jesse from Boston. It is to my sister Erin and brother-in-law Sean. Oh. And uh, the note about Sean is that Sean is pronounced Sean. <laughs> Good to know. Message goes like this. Yay! Joining Big Brothers Flynn, Tiberius, and Quentin Riker is Harrison Miles. I am Chief Miles Edward O'Brien. This is fucking spectacular. Aaron, I'm so glad when I asked why you picked Tiberius for a middle name, you directed me to the Friends of DeSoto. <laughs> Rewatching TNG and finding DS9 reminds me of you and Dad, and it's been a highlight of quarantine times. I love you and this old enterprise. Ah, <laughs> oh. Yeah. Spending your quarantine time wisely with... Uh, with watching 180 episodes of TNG and, and DS9, not too shabby. That's pretty good. Do you think that Flynn, Quentin, and Harrison are fuzzballs or or or, or babies? I w- my mind went to to pets initially, but now I'm wondering are these are these children that we're talking about with middle names like Tiberius, Riker, and Miles? God, I don't know. I don't. Well, I don't well, want to assume animal where. Where it's it's person, <laughs> yeah. We may never know, but uh, but really exciting. Um, and uh, and thank you to Aaron for uh, for putting Jesse on to the the friends of Desoto. That's a cool thing to do. I love it when people do that. Uh, as Ben said, plenty of priority one message options for you uh, in the upcoming season of Star Trek Discovery season three. So get in there and. Uh, and have your message permanently cemented into our episodes of Greatest Discovery going forward. I spent a lot of last week sick in bed. And one thing I was so happy I had when I needed something to eat but didn't really have the energy to cook myself something was Factor Meals. Got a couple of these in the fridge at all times and they are delicious, fresh, never frozen, chef-crafted meals. And they're ready to go in just about two minutes. And this is convenience food that is actually tasty and full of real ingredients and not hyper-processed crap. And they got you covered all throughout the day. They got pancakes, smoothies, grab-and-go bites, and uh, you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause and reschedule deliveries at any time. So head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use code trek50 to get 50% off. That's code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. What do you think of when you think of male grooming? Maybe it's a sharp haircut and a little bit of product, or a bit of the old beard wax twisted into the ends of a mustache. Maybe it's a shower, a shave, a little spritz of fragrance. Me? I think of shaving my nuts. And not just my nuts, all around those nuts. I'm talking all around those nuts. And this form of male grooming is hard to do when your junk looks like a log of Play-Doh rolled through a dustpan in a barber shop. It's wrinkly, it's wriggly, nothing stays in place, and it's the one area where you don't want to have an accident. 
That's why I'm glad we're sponsored by the spring cleaning champions at Manscaped. They sent me their brand new lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. It's their fifth generation trimmer, featuring two interchangeable next gen skin safe blade heads, a standard one for taking a little bit off the top, and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. They also sent me an extra large Manscaped t-shirt, which I will never wear, but it was nice of them to do. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. Nothing like a little spring cleaning in your pants. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you find yourself an Edward Larkin? I did. My Edward Larkin is an off-screen character, which is sort of a light motif that you have pursued with this series. Uh, but uh, the character Jen became my Edward Larkin. She's referenced twice in this episode. Uh, once when uh, Mariner is talking about her secret being out and how Ransom has called her Jen before. I don't know. Is it Ransom or is it somebody else that called her Jen? Oh, I don't know. Anyways, she's been she's been called Jen by senior officers, and she she says to Boimler, like, who even is Jen? There's nobody named Jen on this ship. And then later on, when she's leaving the angry voicemails on Boimler's iPad, uh, you know, she's like up late at night doing this in the bunk bed hallway, and an off-screen voice tells her to like quiet quiet down, and she says, "Shut up, Jen." And uh, I feel like that's that's Edward Larkin to me, like a character that like that their crewmates are derisive of and dismissive of and like are barely aware that they exist. I feel like Jen could get into some serious Larkin like trouble. I think Jen is being thrown around as an epithet, like like you don't you don't want to be a Jen on the Cerritos. Like we we've we've met Jennifer, the Andorian that that Mariner shoves aside while running through a corridor, like seems to be a real hate on for, uh, for Jen's and Jennifer's on this show. I think it's easy to 
conceive of a writer's room who's had a very bad experience with a gen in their past. Yeah. Did you have a Edward Larkin in this episode, Adam? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I'm legit very sad about the death of Shax. And I'm going to make Edward Larkin... I'm going to make my Edward Larkin Shax in this episode. He dies on the best day of his life. You remember when he's in the shuttlecraft and they're heading for the ship? They're ready. They're ready. Yeah. They are ready to do the mission. And Shax has not stopped screaming. He's just fought a whole bunch of pack leads in the hallway. He knows he's going to fight a bunch more when they board the ship. The Bajoran beefsteak. Mm-hmm. RSVP Shax. I'm, yeah. I'm going to miss him a ton. What a great character. We hardly knew him. But uh, Shax rules. For that reason, I'm going to make him my Edward, Edward Larkin. Ben, I'm going to I'm going to tag something onto this related to Shax. Mm. A prediction for season 2. Oh ho ho. Jet is going to be the new tactical officer of the Cerritos next year. Wow. I like that. Jet kicks ass. Yeah. Everyone loves him. He he almost threw Boimler off a cliff on a on yeah. a hollow program. He 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 could be defending security. the captain. Yeah. Do. I think I think he's got the experience. Uh I think he's got the temperament and I think he has the respect of the crew. He'd make a fine tactical officer, so. Mm. Wow, that's a great prediction. I really hope that happens. I can't wait for season two of Lower Decks, but uh, up next week, Ben, is uh, we're going back to Discovery. It's season Season three, episode one of Star Trek Discovery. There was a little trailer that I think has some new footage in it uh, at the end of this episode for season three of... Star Trek Discovery didn't look like a trailer just for episode one of season three. It looked like a trailer for the whole season. But um, yeah, some exciting images in there. I saw some Echo Papa 607s in there. So nice to see those persist into the future. Yeah. Saw some some great big dinos. Nice (laughs) to see those persist into the future. Um, Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm fucking pumped for for season three disco. I'm pumped for uh, season three disco greatest discovery. Uh, we had hoped to bring uh, bring an interview with Sonequa Martin Green to the show next week. We tried we, super hard. We I feel like we got to third base uh, with the powers yeah. that be uh, to do that for our friends of DeSoto, and we finally at the eleventh hour got the uh, got the big city turned down. Uh, we're pretty bummed to hear about that, yeah. but maybe we'll get a, another chance down the road because uh, we sure do like her and her work. I think that the the point your wife made, uh, which I really agree with, is that a lot of other shows wouldn't even be in the conversation for something like that. We are really lucky to yeah. have have even gotten an opportunity to propose such a thing. Yeah. And, uh, I think that's a testament to just how many friends of DeSoto there are out there. We've got a great big audience now, and uh, and the yeah. the Star Trek industrial complex knows that. They're starting to see that uh, that that the friends of DeSoto are a, a a a loyal and cool group of people to be giving access to. So I'm hoping I'm hoping that uh, 
you know, next time one of these opportunities comes up, it actually happens. If The Greatest Discovery is just a show that interviews Anton Mount and Anton Mount only year in and year out, then that's fine. <laughs> Happy to do yeah, it. No, Anton would, Mount is hella cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> maybe that's our specialty. Yeah, maybe maybe so. I did I did mention that we interviewed Anson Mount when I was uh when I was in discussions with the uh with the powers that be and uh that didn't seem to move the needle. <laughs> I don't know why. I imagine they they talked to Anton Mount and Anton Mount did the like ee, like <laughs> like hand to throat thing. Do not. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no. They uh they will probably be holding like weird hoofs full of alcoholic beverages when they try and interview her it's not cool they really wanted to turn it into more of a conversation and a fun hang than an interview and that was a real put off (laughs) Uh, i I would say we have every intention of doing an award show for lower decks but um may take a little bit of time to get that in the can and probably in the bonus feed given the schedule we need to make with uh, discovery ramping up so look for that in the not too distant future we'll have to slip it in somewhere uh, but I, I do really want to do that so um, yeah keep your eyes peeled for check the uh, greatest trek account on Instagram or Twitter and uh, that should that should steer you toward that yeah that awards show when it happens which is hopefully soon Hey, thanks for sticking with us for uh, all the off-season episodes and for this first season of Lower Decks. Uh, We really appreciate all the support the show's gotten and uh, in allowing us to continue what was once a little side project that's now now a real true blue show of its own. I feel fortunate to be able to make it, so thanks. Indeed. Love making Greatest Discovery. All right, Adam, let's leave it with Rob's from here. Thanks to all of the listeners out there. The Greatest Discovery is a Maximum Fun podcast. It's hosted by Adam Pranica and Ben Harrison. And the show is produced by me, Rob Schulte. Our theme music is by the great Adam Ragusea of Cooking Fame. Check out his YouTube channel. It's phenomenal. Hey, and if you're looking for more Trek, why don't you look at our off-season? Or better yet, catch up on all of our Star Trek Discovery episodes before next week, when Star Trek Discovery Season 3 begins. Don't forget to go follow us on Twitter and Instagram under the handles Greatest Trek. You'll get a lot of insider information there. Those accounts are run by the great Bill Tilly. Bill, we really appreciate you and your card daddy styles. Once again, thanks everyone for sticking with us through all of the new episodes of Everything Trek on The Greatest Discovery, and we'll see you next week as we begin the new season of Disco. Thanks! MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.